It's Monday, November 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Jason Moser. Happy Monday. Happy November, huh? How about that? <laughs> You're we've, just moving right on. We're just plugging right along. We've got entertainment earnings. We've got some restaurant news. Quick programming note, we are off tomorrow. You might have heard it's Election Day here in the United States of America, so we are off tomorrow, but we're going to be back on Wednesday, so don't worry about that. Let's start with Clorox. First quarter profits doubled year-over-year. It was the strongest revenue growth in more than 20 years for Clorox, and they raised guidance for the full fiscal year. They are starting the fiscal year off with a bang. Hey, I mean, it is a very good time to be Clorox, and I mean that I, it makes sense um, given given the state of things today. But yeah, I mean, they they had a wonderful uh, year. Uh, the headline numbers look really good from this release. I mean, twenty seven percent increase in in sales, and that was really all organic. And and that for a company like this is really impressive. Uh, earnings earnings growth uh, over a hundred percent. And, and you know when you when you think about what's going on, it again it makes perfect sense. But I think um, you know one of the the benefits from Clorox is it, it, it it's obviously a very familiar name, the Clorox name, but it holds such a vast product lineup that you know I think there are a lot of names in there that people might not even really associate with Clorox the company, but more than eighty percent of their product lineup holds either the number one or number two position in their market, and I mean. That that alone is is I think something to to really uh, to really think about, particularly you know in this day and age where people are really focused more than ever on on cleanliness, right? And and so then you look at this rich history of this company. That's I mean it's it's not the type of company that normally is going to light the world on fire with that type of sales growth, but when you look at its main business segments, the key business segments, I mean, you can see why these numbers were so good. I mean, the health and wellness segment, which is cleaning and professional products and vitamins and minerals, I mean, they saw 28% sales increase in that segment. Household, which is things like bags and wraps and grilling and a cat litter, man. I mean, that's that's obviously something that's going to be in, in, in high demand these days as well. 39% sales increase in, in, in that segment. And then the lifestyle segment, which includes things like food, water filtration, um, personal care, 17% sales increase there. And and so across the board, I guess is my point. It was really it was really nothing um less than than just success across all segments which which led to these numbers. And given that it's a global business, um you know, they are really able to help the world right now in addressing what is a, a very difficult time. They are, and it's just you know we, we we've talked recently about the quote unquote boring businesses, just like this yeah. you know for for all of the rise we've seen in workplace collaboration software, software as a service, you know cloud computing, all of that stuff. Uh, you also got to throw in the Cloroxes and the Tupperwares of the world for just being <laughs> very straightforward. And, um, you know, I said early in the pandemic, it's really hard for me to imagine that the next 10 years for this business and this stock isn't going to be better than the last 10. I, yeah, I think you're right. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, it is it is important, I think, in this in this 
day and age where everything just the discussion in the investing world always just centers around SaaS and cloud and edge computing and 5G and all this stuff. Um, I mean, there there really are just those simple businesses out there that just do something pretty easy to understand and they just do it really well. I mean, we obviously talk ad nauseum about McCormick on this show. And I mean, you know, that that's partly by design. I mean, it is just one of those simple to understand businesses that it's not going to light the world on fire, but over longer stretches of time, you see you see the sense in owning the stock. And and Clorox, I think, is in that same boat. I mean, it is a dividend aristocrat. It's a stock that you know, on, on any given year, you're not going to be looking at it and thinking, wow, man, my portfolio really, really lit it up this year, thanks to Clorox. But if you look out over longer stretches of time, and, and I mean, I'll, I'll look at just over the last decade, um, I mean, Clorox is a company that back in the day when we had that that uh, Real Money Rising Star initiative here at The Fool, uh, it, it's a company I added to the, to the Real Money portfolio that I was running back in 2011. And, and that was the general idea was, hey, listen, this is just something you're going to put in your portfolio and kind of tuck away. Because it's always going to remain relevant. Uh, they they have some challenges, I think, in, in competition. I mean, they do have to worry about private label brands. Um, I, th- I think, interestingly enough, I think the flip side, I think in, in times like these, I think this is where that private label brand threat is mitigated a little bit. I know customers, consumers may be a little bit more cost sensitive these days, but I also think that when they're really looking to make sure that something is going to get the job done, they do start relying a little bit more on the brands that they know. And I think that plays into one of Clorox's strengths. Um, I, I do think they're always going to have to worry about that private label brand uh, threat. And, and they also have a, lot, they have a lot of success hinged to uh, how, how Walmart performs. I mean, Walmart represented about, it represents about 25% of Clorox's overall sales. And so, so they do depend on Walmart as, as, a, as a partner. Um, but again, I, I think that this is a long track record this company has developed. And, and as a dividend aristocrat, obviously, you know, the dividend remains a priority. I don't think that will ever change. I think this is a business that's set up to succeed for a long period of time. And, and again, it does something that's really pretty simple. And that's, there's a great investing lesson there. Proof today that not everyone is succeeding in the world of streaming video. Third quarter <laughs> revenue for AMC Networks fell 9%. They say they are expecting to have around 5 million paid subscribers for their video streaming service. The stock is up about 5% today, but you just back it out for 2020, it's still down more than 40%. And uh, this, I don't know, this, this is one of those businesses that I sort of look at and I wonder, are are they going to be around in three years as a standalone public company? Because I'm not confident of that. I yeah, I'm not confident of that either. I I wonder about that myself. Um, it's it's not a bad business per se. I mean, it, it it does something well in the content side, but I think this really goes to show how extremely important distribution is in, in today's media landscape. I mean, having the quality content, which is really what AMC is known for, first and foremost, is content. I mean, just, just having the content is not going to get get it done on its own. I mean, content is not king, despite what some may want to tell you. And, and if you're going to run with that content is king line, you, you need to figure out where distribution fits in there because distribution's clearly equally, if not more important, which is why we've seen uh, the levels of, of success with, with 
you know, companies like Netflix and Amazon Prime and, and Hulu. And I mean, wow, we just saw uh, Peacock there recently, right? I mean, that, that was, I mean, that's 22 million subscribers that just jumped onto that app in no time. Um, and then you look at AAMC and you're, you know, they expect five to five and a half million paid subs by the end of 2020 for its its entire portfolio of, of streaming services. And oh yeah, hey, Chris, they do have a bundle. So that's pretty cool. And they, it's a really clever, it's a clever name, AMC Plus. I mean, where would they have come up with that? <laughs> I, I I like to think that at least when they were batting around the name, someone in the room said, "Okay, if we can't come up with anything else, we'll go with it." Can we come up with it? like this is the baseline? Let's try and do better than this. It feels like it feels like there's got to be a voice in the room that says, "Is that really all you got?" Uh, it, you know, so I don't know. Maybe they maybe they try to rebrand that at some point. I mean, they do have some interesting brands, and again, I they I, I like some of the content that you're getting out from this company. I I, I worry that they're really uh, they're really levered to the Walking Dead still, and and that that you know, seems like it's going to be a problem. Um, I mean, y- y- you have to look at how this company makes its money and then try to figure out how how attractive of an investment idea it, it would be for you. I mean, if you look at over over its stretch as a publicly traded company, I mean, it's it's not been a very good investment. It, it had a moment there, but but all in all, if you've been holding on to these shares since they went public, you're not a very happy camper right now. Um, but But if you look at the way they make their money, I mean, and this is where it, it gets a little bit troublesome. I mean, it's it's essentially distribution and advertising, right? And so it's it's subscriptions, it's it's the the advertising sales, and and if you look at the way that breaks down, the distribution, which uh, accounts for about sixty eight percent of of consolidated revenues, the other thirty two percent is advertising. Uh, obviously, the advertising market has had a, a difficult time this year, earlier in the year. Now it's it's recovering a little bit. But you know, when you talk about subscription, you know the distribution uh, revenue, man, subscription, and that's uh, you know affiliations. That's that's a bit of a more uh, difficult road ahead, I think, because I don't know that a company like, like this necessarily is going to command a whole heck of a lot of pricing power. Um, and, and and certainly it see it seems by the numbers. I mean, revenue for the quarter was down nine percent. Um, I, I I just don't know how reasonable it is to to believe that this is a company that's going to you know have some magic bullet that turns everything around here. I mean, they they really have uh, I think benefited. F- from some of their content, I mean, whether it's Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul or Walking Dead, um, I mean, clearly that keeps them at the top of the conversation. But again, you get back down to the distribution side of it, and and you compare the the audience sizes. I, you gotta wonder. I mean, if at some point maybe you know we saw Hulu and Disney bring FX into their universe uh, by virtue of that of that Fox acquisition, I mean, you, you kind of wonder at some point if you don't see AMC being rolled into uh, you know another bigger family at some point, like like you like you question there. I think it's I think it's more likely than not. The debt is a problem, though. I mean, if, if, you, yeah. if you're just if you're looking at sort of you know AMC networks, which for, for those unfamiliar, obviously AMC is the flagship network. They also have Sundance and IFC, a uh, couple others as well. Uh, but AMC is really sort of the jewel in the crown. If you're just looking at the content and the and uh, the equity that you have there, the cash that they have on hand. I mean, the 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 market cap is 
just over a billion dollars, and I think they have somewhere in the neighborhood of eight hundred million cash on hand. Um, but the 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 debt outweighs that, and I think that's that's the thing that someone would have to sort of figure out. Um, and maybe it's something where they they spend the next year trying to clean up their balance sheet a little bit to prepare for an acquisition, so they get some sort of a bump. But uh, the debt's a problem. Yeah, and, and I don't think that that really. I don't think that problem ever goes away because when you're in this content business, you just you constantly have to pay for content. I mean, even even Netflix isn't exempt from that. I mean, Netflix has just some amazing content obligations, but I mean, they also have a pretty amazingly large subscriber base as well. And and it's just it's not reasonable to to think that that AMC will ever get to that point. So then, really, it's going to be a it's going to be more about for them producing great content and figuring out ways to to license it out. I mean, I don't I don't think they're going to be any type of a mainstream subscriber uh, service. And, and so, that's going to limit what they can do on, on that subscription side. And so, then it's really going to boil down to uh, advertising, which is, it can be lumpy. And I mean, you know, a lot of people are trying to figure out ways to, to get their content without having to deal with ads in the first place. Um, so, yeah, I mean, fortunately for them, for now, they have three plus billion dollars on, on the, in debt on the balance sheet. I mean, they have the they had the operating income uh, to cover their obligations with no problem whatsoever. But if they want to, you know, they want to keep on churning out good content, that's going to require some resources, and, and that means they're going to have to raise some more money in some way, shape, or form. Um, and, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't suspect that problem ever goes away. Last Monday on the show, we talked about a New York Times report that Inspire Brands was planning to buy Duncan Brands for eight point eight billion dollars. And one week later, we've officially got a deal. Shares of Duncan <laughs> up this morning, just below the buyout price of one hundred six dollars fifty cents a share. I had said a week ago that the premium that Inspire Brands is paying for Duncan was surprising to me, because Inspire Brands had built its portfolio of restaurants by buying them at a little bit of a discount, buying them at times when they were struggling. This is a 20% premium to uh, uh, where shares of Duncan were uh, when this first report, uh, when this uh, story was first reported. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm starting to warm up to this deal uh, for Inspire in part because um, Duncan is... Uh, they're not Starbucks. And by that, I mean, <laughs> Starbucks uh, for a very long time was trying to be the third place. You've got your home, your work, and we want to be the third place where you hang out. Duncan has never built its business on, come hang out here. It's like, no, come <laughs> get your coffee and donuts and leave. And that's, that's a business very much of this time. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I actually don't know that that really changes. I think that I mean, you're certainly looking at Starbucks um, reassessing their uh, footprint because I think they recognize that that priority on the on the third place it just it's it doesn't hold the same sway as it as it used to. And and you're right, Duncan never really was about that. And and it's I you make a good point there in regard to the different brands under Inspire's umbrella, because I mean, you've got Arby's, you've got Buffalo Wild Wings, you've got Rusty Taco, which was part of the Be Wild deal. You got Jimmy John's. I mean, all of these, they're not bad brands by any means, but you're right. They, they picked up some brands that were, that were in some challenging 
spots, you know, I mean, they were able to get, get a, a pretty good deal at the time. And, you know, Duncan, I think is, is a business that's been performing really well. And, and so, I mean, when you look at this ac- actual deal, I mean, number one, it's an all cash deal. So that's really nice. Uh, at the price of $106 and 50 cents, that's about 40 times trailing earnings, which, you know, listen, I understand that Chipotle is trading for 120, 130 times earnings. It's just, they're slinging burritos. Um, it, that that's a bit much. I mean, so so that's not reasonable to expect from something like this. I think you're getting a coffee and a donut shop here for 40 times trailing earnings. That's that's a pretty nice that's a pretty nice premium. I think for what's what's a pretty darn good business, um, a 100 franchise model. So it's easy to get these stores up and running. Uh, and, and ultimately, with with Inspire, I mean, this is going to give them. I, man, I tell you, this is a pretty amazing company when you look at everything they have going for them. Um, after this deal, this is going to give Inspire Brands twenty-six billion dollars in system-wide sales, just under thirty-two thousand restaurants in sixty-plus countries. They're going to have more than 25 million loyalty members, and about 14 million of those are coming from Duncan from this acquisition. So, I mean, they're going to have a really impressive presence in a market where we talk about scale being such a phenomenal competitive advantage all the time. I mean, this this is going to be a really impressive business, and frankly. I kind of feel like we ought to start having the discussion of, of when do we feel like Inspire might try to, to go public? Because I, I'd be kind of interested in, in learning more about that business, given how strong it's going to be after this acquisition. Yeah, this is the biggest deal in the restaurant industry in six years. And yeah. Inspire has really established itself. And I think, I think this is... Because of the size of the, this deal, um, because of the brands involved, I think this is the deal that is making a lot of people, including you and me, take a much closer look at Inspire Brands, which is private. As and as you said, be interesting to see. I mean, I was actually thinking about it from the standpoint of of what you typically see in this situation, which is, uh, you know, umbrella company takes a, a series of brands private and then looks to spin them out in a couple yeah. of years. So to me, it wouldn't shock me. It would almost be more surprising if Inspire went public. Um, it would be a, a bolder move on their part. Uh, and and selfishly, it would just be more interesting. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, if they spin out Duncan in a few years, it's probably because they've had some success with expansion in the Western half of the United States. They've probably also uh, added some debt in there as well. Yeah, I mean, you're right. That is something that we normally see is they would they would look to spin these concepts out and and you know make some money and kind of leave <laughs> leave future shareholders holding you know the bag of a restaurant company saddled with a lot of debt. Um, I I, you know, I, I wonder. I'm not entirely convinced that actually is what's going to happen. I mean, it certainly could, but if you if you read through like the release from Inspire Brands, Paul Brown, the CEO of Inspire Brands, you know, he he wrote a letter to to um, brand to the, to their team members just regarding this deal and kind of kind of what the company is about and what their goals are. It, it just really seems to me like this. It, it seems like their focus is 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 more on building out this this business to be as as big and as as awesome as they think it can be. So I don't know. I mean it, it could go either way there, but it certainly seems like the language from from CEO Paul Brown is they're they're a little bit uh more more long-term focused here. So I yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. 
And we can't leave before mentioning uh, Friendly's. Beloved, uh, speaking of beloved restaurants, Friendly's <laughs> declaring bankruptcy once again. I think this is the third time yeah. in the past decade that, <laughs> that Friendly's has declared bankruptcy. Um, uh, for those unfamiliar, a, a um, sort of, a, a fa- do we call it fast casual? I don't know. It, it was more of a sit-down restaurant and yeah. ice cream shop started in New England. That's really the bulk of the footprint for Friendly's restaurants. I know they have a couple in Florida and South Carolina, but this is really a New England and mid-Atlantic restaurant chain that, um, you know, if history is any guide, uh, they're, they're going to come out the other side of this. Oh yeah, I mean it. It looks like this is. Yeah, I mean this, this is this is something that was driven by by the the pandemic and and, and the you know the, the impact it's had on the restaurant industry. I mean, I, I don't think Friendly's was was really you know killing it uh, before anyway. But but it does have a a rich history and you know a, a small footprint somewhere in the neighborhood of 130 restaurants. I think they're all going to actually stay open. I mean, they're selling these assets off, but I mean the restaurants should should remain open. We we used to have one right right here by our house, and we would go every couple of you know a couple of months or so. The girls enjoyed it, and and yeah, I mean, you could always knew you could just get like a really terrific ice cream dessert after after dinner. It was just kind of like a I don't know, similar to like a Shoney's experience from like growing up or something like that. But uh, I mean, it, it it is a it is a very difficult stretch here for restaurants, and I mean, certainly Friendly's is not the only one here. I mean, I think it was I was reading about. Uh, what was it? Ruby Tuesday, which, you know, I get that. Uh, Chuck E. Cheese. I mean, I, I can't believe that didn't, they didn't file for bankruptcy earlier. That place is just so gross on so many levels. Um, but, but yeah, Friendly's, Friendly's was always just, a, it was a nice experience, you know, very, very family oriented, good memories. You, you can still buy their ice cream in the grocery store. Thankfully, I think that was sold off maybe to like, I don't know, Dean Foods or something. Dean Foods bought it. Up. Yeah. Yeah. You ever, you ever buy their ice cream still in the store? Absolutely. Yeah, man, I tell you, that's I. I don't know about you, but um, I, I'm a bit more of a fruit flavored ice cream guy than like a chocolate ice cream guy. I just like the fruity flavors a little bit more. They have a black raspberry ice cream that is just out of this world, and anytime I ever see it, man, it, it's very difficult to pass up. It is so so good. Throw some chocolate chips in that, and then I'll give it a shot. Hey, yeah, I mean that. that I, I, now you're talking. I think I could get on board with that. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about in the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We're off for the election. We will see you on Wednesday. Wednesday.